0: These opening words are from my conclusion to the book Justice on Earth. I hold a vision of beloved community that's out beyond the horizon of my own knowing. In this community of human and non human beings, we live in integrity with each other and with the Earth. We work together to nourish and sustain life. We eat well, but we don't take more than we need. We have diverse, flourishing cultures that cooperate with respect and learn from one another without prejudice or hierarchy. While we help one another die well, we do not help death come before its time. We live free from violence and coercion, we celebrate every day and we appreciate the joys of living, we dance and sing, we laugh, we use our minds to the benefit of life, we create art and music, we tell stories, we live in tune with the rhythms of the earth, the seasons, the day and the night. We live in tune with each other. We live in tune with the rhythms of our own hearts.
1: Welcome to this service. We're so glad you're here. I'm the Reverend Bob Lavallee and I'm happy to be here with our music director, Susan Peck and making his Sunday debut as worship leader is Lee Francis. And we're fortunate to have talented Sharon Stepler providing music. And I wanna give a big thanks to our Director of Religious Education, Mia Noren, for presenting our time for all ages today. Our DJ DJ today is Tech Arts Director, Chris Paul, and our fabulous tech team is Vance Bass, Jordan Jones, Michaela Rens whitmore Christine Robinson, and Raymond Wolfgang. It truly takes a village to make a Zoom worship Thank you all so much. And that person you just saw sharing our opening words is our guest preacher today, the Reverend Jennifer Nordstrom. Reverend Jennifer is the senior minister of the First Unitarian Society of Milwaukee, where she preaches, teaches, and organizes for social justice. In fact, uh, you may have heard of her because in 2018, she co-edited a book called justice on earth, people of faith working at the intersections of race, class, and the environment. And that book was chosen as the Unitarian Universalist Association's national common read. So perhaps you read it. Anyways, we're so glad that she can join us even if it's by pre-recorded video. Now, if you're visiting today, you are invited to put your name and where you're participating from in the chat. We'd love to say hello to you virtually. And we're just so glad that you're here. Lee has a couple of announcements.
2: Kawatsi, how Good morning. You may have
3: heard that the prop- includes building on the side of our campus for sale. We are moving forward towards purchasing it. And one of the steps to doing that is holding a congregation vote to approve the loan purchase. We'll be holding a congregation on Sunday, May 2nd. Members of the congregation will vote twice that day. Once of that property, and second time, purchasing Apple panels would be currently met. Special notice of the meeting's agenda and information about the town hall discussion have been sent to church members and will be posted on our church website this week.
2: Are you just
1: Chris, can you spotlight me? I think Lee is having some Wi-Fi issues. All right. Um, One more announcement that Lee would be giving. Um, uh, Are you visiting today? Or would you like to personally welcome our guests? Or are you, this is your second or third or 10th visit to this worship service? Well, you're invited to join us today after the service for New to First You. So after the credits at the end of the service, just stay in the meeting to be placed in a breakout room with other visitors and our Director of Membership and Communications, Lara Magnuson. She'll be available to answer your questions about our community and you can chat to some folks and see what's going on. So, all right, let's light our chalices. Lee, are you you back on?
3: I am, apologies. No worries. Do you want to do
1: the chalice lighting?
3: Uh, Sure. Let me get my piece up as well. We light our chalices today with the words of Jennifer Jennifer McLaughlin. As the first hint of spring begins to peek through the barren ground, as that little sprig grows into a healthy stem, as the stem grows into a stalk and forms a bud, as that bud slowly opens with each new day to form a yellow daffodil. Let us be like that first hint of green, renewed by the warm of the sun's rays and ready to emerge with a new energy, ready to face the day. We light this chalice to bring a glimmer of that warmth into our space. Come, let us celebrate together.
4: Good morning. Please join me in singing the opening song, For the Earth Forever Turning. Uh, it's number 163 in the gray hymnal, uh, but the words appear in the chat.
5: Nisanne, would you like the chalice as we say our principles? Okay. Thorfinn? Each person is important. Kind and fair in all you do.
6: We're free to learn together. We search for what is
5: true. All people need a voice. Build a fair and peaceful world. We take care of our planet. We work together for diversity and against racism and oppression. Thank you, everybody. Good morning. I'm Mia Norin, the Director of Religious Education at First Unitarian Church. Today, I want to share a story with you about a boy with a magical gift and the wisdom to take only what is needed, the beauty and fragility of our natural world and a courageous and wise princess with the courage to restore it. Of course, there's always a greedy king. The story is The Cloud Spinner by Michael Catchpool with illustrations by Alison Jay. There once was a boy who could weave cloth from the clouds. He had a spinning wheel and a loom on top of a hill. As the clouds passed with a whir of the wheel, he would spin them into thread, gold in the morning with the rising sun, white in the afternoon and crimson in the evening, just as his mother had taught him. Then with a clickety-clack of his loom, he would weave the thread into cloth. As he worked, he sang a simple song that his mother had taught him. Enough is enough and not one stitch more. The boy was wise. He spun just enough thread and wove just enough cloth to make two scarves. One of pure white he wore over his head when it was hot to protect him from the sun. The other he wore when it was cold. It was a twist and twirl of gold and white and crimson, soft as a mouse's touch and warm as roasted chestnuts. His mother had taught him well. One chilly market day, the boy walked down the hill, a basket in his hand and his scarf around his neck. The market was full of great excitement. The king was on his way. Soon the king rode grandly by, hardly noticing the curtsies and cheers. But what his greedy eyes did notice was the most wonderful scarf of gold and white and crimson. Tell me boy, where can I get a scarf of such fine cloth? Nowhere on earth, the boy replied. Well, then how did you get yours, snapped the king. I made it, said the boy. Then you will make another for me, a longer one, much longer, for I am the king. But the boy said, it would not be wise to have a long scarf made from this cloth. Your majesty does not need it. How dare you tell me what is wise, shouted the king. I order you to make me my scarf. So the boy went home to the top of the hill and with a whir of the wheel began to spin. He spun the clouds as they passed in the morning and were gold with the rising sun. He spun in the afternoon as the clouds sailed past, white as snowdrifts. He spun in the evening when the clouds were crimson. Then, with a clickety-clack of the loom, he wove the thread into long, long scarf. The king was overjoyed. His scarf was as soft as a mouse's touch and warm as roasted chestnuts. Now make me a cloak of this glorious cloth, he ordered, and dresses galore for the queen and my daughter, the princess. But the boy shook his head. It would not be wise to have so many clothes made from this cloth. Your majesty does not need them. The king's face was a twist of scowls. I want those clothes, and I order you to make them. So the boy went home to the top of the hill, and with a whir of the wheel, began to spin. He spun the clouds as they passed in the morning and were gold with the rising sun. He spun in the afternoon as the clouds sailed past, white as snowdrifts. And he spun in the evening when the clouds were crimson. He spun, and he spun, and it got harder and harder. For soon, there were fewer and fewer clouds. At last, with a clickety-clack of the loom, the boy began to weave the thread into cloth beneath a cloudless sky. And as he worked, he sadly sang, enough is enough and not one stitch more the king was delighted he put on the wonderful cloak and the queen and the princess each put on a beautiful flowing dress surely he boasted there is no other king as magnificent and wise as me not one said the queen the princess said nothing But day after day, as they wore their marvelous clothes, not one drop of rain fell from the cloudless sky. Your majesty, pleaded the villagers, our animals are thirsty and our crops are all dying. There's nothing I can do, shouted the king, walking this way and that, his cloak trailing behind him. Why are you moaning to me? The princess said nothing, but that evening, she quietly slipped out of the palace. She wore a simple dress and in her arms was a bundle, soft as a mouse's touch and warm as roasted chestnuts. She crossed the dry, dusty gardens and the brown fields beyond and climbed to the top of the hill. Stepping forward, she knocked at the boy's door. Is it too late to undo what has been done the boy smiled and said simply, there is still time. When the king awoke the next morning, he could not find his wonderful cloak. The queen could not find her beautiful dresses. They searched the palace for the clothes that the boy had made, but they were gone. While outside, the villagers danced for joy as the rain began to fall from the clouds in the sky. It rained and rained and rained. The king and queen looked down and wondered. And the princess, with a smile as bright as a rainbow, stood on top of the hill and sang, enough is enough and not one stitch more. And that is the end of this story.
1: Let's pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. So we include this time for brief meditation in every service. But I want to acknowledge that not everyone loves meditation. For some folks, this idea of sitting and focusing on our breath, the practice of it, can actually cause more anxiety than it relieves. For those folks, I want to say, there is no shame in not meditating. It's not for everyone. Folks who don't want to focus on their breath can choose to use the two minutes of silence in any way that works for them. Perhaps use that time to picture the faces of people that you love and who love you back. Or think about your wishes for the world, the community, for yourself or plan your dinner. It's all good. Whether you choose to meditate or not, we'll sit in silence together for the next two minutes.
3: Joys and concerns are braided energies in each life. When shared out of vulnerable trust, these weave our covenant journey into a stronger, sensitive community as we listen deeply to attune to each one's pilgrimage. Please use the chat bar to share first your joys and then your concerns. If you are unable to post in the chat bar, please call the church office or email Caring at uuabq.org. Leave word of how we may support you in these times. We now share from our daily lives as prompted.
6: Shine on me, oh, shine on me, let the light from the lighthouse shine on me oh shine on me yes shine on me let the light from the lighthouse shine on me Lift me up, oh, lift me up. Let the light from the lighthouse lift me up, oh, lift me up. Yes, lift me up. Let the light from the lighthouse lift me up. Oh, hold, hold me close. Yes, hold me close. Let the light from the light from the lighthouse hold me close. Yes, hold me close Oh, hold me close Let the light from the lighthouse Please hold me close Oh, shine on me Yes, shine on me Let the light Light, from the lighthouse shine on me, oh shine on me, yes shine on me. Let the light from the lighthouse shine on me.
1: All these joys and concerns, plus those joys and concerns held in our hearts unspoken, but no less keenly felt. We lift them all up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal, known by many names. We mourn the passing of Dick Bailey, who died peacefully in Oregon on April 14th at Age ninety nine. He and his wife Eleanor were beloved members of First Jew and of the pe- and of the Penguin family. May his loved ones find comfort, and may light perpetual shine upon him. And we mourn the passing of Dewitt Bolton, who just passed this morning. <clears throat> Talented musician and leader in his community shared his gifts here at First Unitarian several times. May we in this larger community find comfort from this stunning loss and may, and may light perpetual shine upon DeWitt. We grieve as we witness the endless gun violence in this country. May we decide as a nation that this is something that we are no longer able to tolerate. May our leaders find courage, moral courage. We pray for those among us who are out of energy and bereft of joy. May connection and engagement bring forth a new resilience that carries them back to their grounding place. And may all know the feeling of rest and renewal. May we see what is holy and beautiful in our communities. May we see what is holy and beautiful in each other. May we see what is holy and beautiful in ourselves. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you.
4: In the stillness comes a care. Startles me with song Unexpected as a sweet desert rain When the day's been too long It lasts for a moment Then it's gone Well I found. about to break. Maybe I was wrong to think I'd leave it all behind. That was my favorite mistake. Out here, I see the change.
3: We have two readings today. Our first reading is from Gaylord Nelson, founder of Earth Day and former governor and US Senator of Wisconsin. Fortunately, we are coming to understand that the wealth of the nation resides in its air, water, soil, forests, minerals, rivers, lakes, oceans, scenic beauty, wildlife habitats, and biodiversity. Our second reading is by the Avnaki First Nations documentary filmmaker, Alanis Obamsawin, from a 1972 conversation with Ted Poole. Canada, the most affluent of countries, operates on a depletion economy which leaves destruction in its wake. Your people are driven by a terrible sense of deficiency. When the last tree is cut, the last fish is caught, and the last river is polluted, when to breathe the air is sickening, you will realize too late that wealth is not in bank accounts and that you can't eat money.
0: Hi there. I'm Reverend Jennifer Nordstrom, and I'm so glad that I could join you today. Thank you for having me. I serve as the Senior Minister of the First Unitarian Society of Milwaukee in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I recently moved into my new house that I bought in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I bought it at the very beginning of the global coronavirus pandemic, which I have to tell you, I don't recommend. (laughs) It was extremely difficult to move at the beginning of the pandemic. Very stressful on myself and on the movers and um, on my ability to orient into a new place. I don't recommend it. But to be fair to myself, I closed on the house before I knew there was a global coronavirus pandemic. I'm sure a lot of us have had experiences like that where we didn't know what was happening. Um, We made choices we wouldn't have made if we had known what was coming, but we didn't. And here we are. After I moved into my new house, I was trying to fit all of the furniture from my old house into the spaces in the new house and it didn't quite fit. It's not that I had too much stuff, certainly not. It was more that the stuff was designed to fit into the spaces of my apartment and the spaces in the house were just a little bit different shape. So I started looking for new furniture and of course as soon as I started looking, I started being inundated with ads for every different kind of furniture, of every different material in every different shape. I could have bookshelves made of wood or metal, I could have dressers made of plastic or glass, I could have any style I wanted, I could have any size I wanted. And that was really convenient for me because I did want to find something that would fit in the 15 inches that I had for, you know, a night table. But as I thought about it more and more, as I received more and more advertisements, I started to wonder, how is it possible that there is literally any size nightstand or dresser that I could possibly want in any style. I, I started to wonder about just the level of abundance of things that were in the world for me to choose from. I started returning to a line from the stunning book The Overstory, it's a novel that if you haven't read it, I recommend, where the character who researches the wisdom of forests and wrote the novel's equivalent of The Secret Life of Trees, that character says, what you make from a tree must be at least as miraculous as what you cut down. And when I thought about the different furniture that I was looking at, none of it seemed all that miraculous. Capitalism is designed to produce things. It's also designed to produce enough desire for those things to keep the production wheels endlessly turning out stuff and profits. So not only is it producing all of these pieces of furniture in every style and shape and color from every material, it's also producing my desire for those things. There are material limits to supposedly endless growth and endless growth as our insatiable consumption pushes at the edges of our ecosystems resilience capitalism's continuous production and consumption occurs within a finite system the world's resources are finite. They just are. There are only so many trees or coal deposits. There are only so many diamond mines. In the United States, somewhere between 75 and 95 percent of the original forests have been cut down. There are real material limits to production and consumption. Even saying that though, is operating within the paradigm of capitalism, the paradigm that sees something as miraculous as a tree, as a raw material. A tree is a living, Breathing being, it communicates with other trees around it. It warns them of threats and it protects its young. Moreover, a tree and all the other resources of our world are interconnected in a living, complex system of ecology that's so much more than clumps or deposits of raw materials. We human beings are part of that living complex system and we are also subject to its interrelatedness. In the book, Scale, The Universal Laws of Life, Growth, and Death in Organisms, Cities, and Companies, Jeffrey West explores the science of complex adaptive systems, like the earth, and their implications for human life. West argues that, quote, all human socioeconomic activity, from innovation and wealth creation to crime and disease, whether good or bad or ugly, is quantitatively interrelated and manifested in the universality of scaling laws. West critiques current approaches to sustainability as insufficiently multidisciplinary and thus missing the nature of the complex adaptive systems upon which life depends. Because resource consumption and pollution, as well as innovation and wealth creation, all scale with population growth, there's scientific reason to critique both Malthusian and Neo-Malthusians who fear that human civilization will collapse with population growth and to critique open-ended exponential growth economists who believe that the innovations of capitalism will save humanity from this fate. The truth is that technological innovation has multiplied with the human population, sustaining our growing human population. However, human beings have also increased our consumption of resources per capita. The wealthiest people on the planet consume the most resources, which makes any Malthusian or Neo-Malthusian population growth argument inaccurate, as well as racist and classist and imperialist. Still, the earth's resources are finite and the consequences of the environmental devastation caused by climate change and resources extraction disproportionately affects people with less power. In white supremacy, That means that black and brown people are disproportionately affected by adverse changes in the environment. In patriarchy, it means that women are disproportionately affected by adverse changes in the environment. And in capitalism, it means that poor people and people with fewer resources are disproportionately affected by adverse changes in the environment. Adverse change, environmental adverse change is more devastating, the less power and less resources that a person has to manage the chaos that ensues from those adverse changes. It's not just non-human life and resources that are finite, however. The open-ended exponential growth model of capitalism has consequences for human beings too. We, we human beings are finite. We are not machines and our capacity for production is not limitless. More importantly, more importantly, our worth is not dependent on our production. Dear ones, I'm gonna say that again. Our worth is not dependent on our production. We human beings are not here on this earth to produce. The idea that my value is based on what I produce in this life is something that I have been seduced by. And I see a lot of people around me participating in the seduction of that idea as well. I find myself wanting to produce something of value almost all the time, in part because I wanna prove my worth. I want to prove that I am of value in this life and on this earth. Our Unitarian Universalist faith, however, teaches us a different truth. It teaches us that all of us, every single human being, is inherently worthy, inherently worthy. And valuable in our being, simply in our lives. Our Unitarian Universalist faith says that we don't have to produce constantly or at all to be valuable. We are valuable in and of ourselves and simply being and are beautiful. Sacred humanity is enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for your own life as well as for the lives of others? And then, do you live it out? Do you live in a way that honors your belief that you and everyone around you is inherently valuable and doesn't need to produce. Some of us might be discovering the limits of our capacities right now. The global coronavirus pandemic in which we are living has increased stress and anxiety and depression and exhaustion as we experience both collective and individual grief and trauma. The global coronavirus pandemic is an experience of collective trauma. Millions of people have died from COVID-19 and marginalized people and communities have been hit the hardest. This is trauma. There's been too much, too fast, and we are experiencing it at the individual and communal and societal levels. When human brains are processing grief or trauma, they work differently. You might be forgetting words or names or concepts, all of which are common and normal in processing grief or trauma your brain might be working much faster or much more slowly than you're used to it working. You might be over-functioning, needing to do, 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 do whatever you can to control what's happening right now. Or your body might have slowed way down, gotten really slow or or maybe it's refused to execute commands that you've given it. Your executive functioning might have decreased or your emotions might have heightened or gone numb as they do in a dissociative state. All of those are normal reactions to grief and to trauma. Your system Your loved one's systems, all of our systems are processing too much awfulness, happening too fast in the best way that our systems know how to process. So listen, listen to your system, listen to your body. Give it what it's asking for, whether that's movement or rest. This is not the time to insist that the body or the heart or the mind behave normally or to just push through the hard stuff. Your body or your brain might not even allow that to happen. You're not a machine. You're not a machine and your value is not dependent on what you produce. You're a human being going through a mass trauma, mass grief experience. So listen to your system. Slow down or rest or run or move allow your system to need what it needs be kind be kind to yourself and to your loved ones who whose systems might be reacting differently than yours and might be needing something different you your body your spirit your mind you are a finite system you need rest and space and real nourishment right now because this living through this experience is taking more energy than regular life takes because grief is hard trauma is hard and they all require space and gentleness and nourishment And it's not only the global coronavirus pandemic that we're experiencing right now. We have individual experiences of grief that are happening during this time. And our country is being shaken to its very foundations and the vibrating pain of our historic massive trauma of white supremacy and racism is shaking and vibrating right now as well. We're going through the pandemic of coronavirus and the pandemic of white supremacy and racism is simultaneously getting shaken up. Tad Hargrave tells a story about talking with a single mother. And her telling him, I feel like I should be doing a better job of juggling everything in my life. And when he heard her say that, he heard something larger moving underneath the surface of what she was saying. And he tuned into that and he asked her, you should be doing better or perfect And the mother paused and said, perfect. He heard that and he responded, here's the truth as I see it. You're not enough. You're not enough not to handle all of these things that you're going through by yourself. It's actually too much for any one person to handle on their own. It's too much right now. And you're not capable of self-sufficiently handling all of the things on your own. You are inadequate to that task. Not because she was an inadequate person, but because one person cannot do all of the things. As human beings, we were designed to live and thrive in community. So as Hargrave hung up the phone and closed this conversation with the single mom, he said to her, Well, you know... Enjoy being utterly inadequate today. And she laughed and said, I will. As individuals, we are not enough for all that the capitalist machine is demanding of us. We are not enough for it in regular daily life, let alone in a global coronavirus pandemic and the mass trauma of white supremacy and racism. We are not enough to be the perfect worker, a production machine, the perfect parent, which is a full-time job in and of itself a perfect partner who's loving and self-reflective and available, a perfect housekeeper with the dishes done and healthy food, cooking, and maybe even some fresh herbs or veggies growing in a garden nearby, the perfect artist, someone whose creative love and habit is good enough to sell, the perfect It's too much it's not possible to be the perfect all of these things we are finite finite human beings with whole lives that have all of these different components and our whole lives were designed to be in relationship with other people and in community our value is not dependent on our perfection or our production. Our value is intrinsic in our life and in our participation in that larger community, that larger whole. This is an interesting time to be human and alive Right now we're at the height of capitalist production and consumption, and we're simultaneously learning that we don't need any more stuff. Studies have shown again and again that stuff, even wealth after basic human needs are met, doesn't make people happier. And now, in the time of coronavirus, locked in our houses with stuff all around us, it's painfully obvious that what makes society tick is human connection. We might be, we will be permanently changed by this experience especially if we allow ourselves to be changed by it. So I want to ask you, what are you learning about that really matters to you right now? When you're drained and exhausted and grieving, where do you want to spend the energy that you do have what really, really matters to you in life. This time can help us learn what really matters. (laughs) I'm learning that it's not any of the stuff around me. It's not my outfit or my car or how well decorated my home is. It's my ability to communicate and connect. It's my relationships. It's the amount of love in my life. It's healthy, sustainable food that I can access. And it's my health, just period. The well-being of my body. And the bodies of the people I love. It's the well-being of the human body. Society's body the community's body it's the community's resilience and our capacity to meet basic human needs in the community how can we learn about what really matters during this time and use that understanding that shared understanding of what matters to invest our time and our energy and our resources in the health and well-being of sustainable, artistic, just economies. Last year, 2020, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, which was co-founded by former Wisconsin Governor Gaylord Nelson. The congregation I serve, the First Unitarian Society of Milwaukee planted trees to celebrate that 50th anniversary. We chose to plant something miraculous in the ground of now, something living that will help the earth breathe in the future. Trees are an investment in a future we don't know yet they'll outlive us bringing beauty and breath to generations beyond us chaos trauma and grief are hard and they are most hard on the people with the least power and resources to navigate them. And there are cracks right now in a system that is harmful, that uses us and the earth like machines to produce and consume and those cracks can create openings for a future that we don't even know is possible yet. Those cracks are where hope and possibility can shine through. Plants grow up through cracks in concrete trees find their root systems through cracks in concrete and grow green and alive in the reckoning of spring so what are you planting in your life right now what are you learning about what really matters right now And how can that be part of making our community more just and sustainable and inclusive? How can that be part of healing the harms of the system that we're living through? May what really matters be part of the miraculous seeds you choose to plant to live beyond you to grow into the future that we do not yet know may it be so and amen
3: through the months of march april and may Our Change for the Future recipient is the American Civil Liberties Union of New Mexico. The ACLU of New Mexico protects and advances justice, liberty, and equity as guaranteed by the constitutions of New Mexico and the United States. It is especially focused on groups that have historically been disenfranchised. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box, And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. Let us now exercise the enduring power of our generosity.
1: What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque. Thank you on behalf of the ACLU of New Mexico, a fine organization. So our, uh, we're approaching the end of the service and uh, the discussion question I wanna share for you to discuss in the breakout rooms or with yourself or whatever you have the opportunity. My question is, Where does perfectionism show up in your life? And how do you counter it? Putting that in the chat. Where does perfectionism show up in your life and how do you counter it? And just a reminder, if you wanna join in on the new to you group today, just linger in the main room after we open the breakout rooms and we'll put you in a special room for the new to you folks. Our Our membership and communications director is having some family problems right now, Lara Magnuson, so she's not gonna be joining us, but I will be in that room and lots of other friendly people, I hope. Great, so let's extinguish our chalices, shall we? On this Earth Day week. For the earth forever turning, for the skies, for every sea, for our lives. For all we cherish, sing, we, our joyful song of peace. Go in peace, gentle people, and practice radical love.